Henry Ford. There you are. Oh, cool. Hi. I can see your face. Great. I can see your face. I can see a pennant behind you. What's on the pennant? Some uh, a train. It's for some sort of railroad. Yeah. Hence the train. I can see some guitar headstocks. I can see a Lemuria. Uh, what is that? It's a record. You know those things that they have records like they used to have in the olden times. Yeah, they were made out of old tortoise shells. Yep. Fattened and grooved. Raw hides. Raw hides. Yep. Also the also the name of a great band. Is it? Raw yeah. I think anyway. Or maybe I'm misremembering. Um what kind of music do they play? Country, I believe. Is it country or alternative country? What's alternative country? Um, okay, well, if I reel off some alternative country artists, maybe you'll get the feel. We've got Wilco. Wilco. You know, okay, you know, Wilco. I know they're one of your favourites. Yeah, Nico Case. Oh, yeah, uh, I know all about Nico Case. Richmond Fontaine. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I'm not au fait with Richmond. Richmond's work. Oh, they're, they're quite good. They're a bit miserable. They're sort of oh, like a miserable fair. version of Wilco. Right. Okay. Their, um, their singer is a guy called Willie Vloten. And um, <laughs> it's a funny name. Uh, my dad gave me one of his novels for, for my birthday last week. He also writes novels about American stuff. And I'm reading a book called The Free by him at the moment, which is about a guy who got blown up in the Iraq war and is sort of having visions, but it's, and it's tying in with the other people in his American small town. It's good. I'm, enjoy- I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> What's Sloten? It sounds like a a German, I don't know, like a Luftwaffe maneuver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's do the Vloten, <laughs> or let's like a the, German a German dance. Let's all do the Vloten. Yeah, it would be a German <laughs> dance or a German Luftwaffe technique or some sort of sex disease. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Actually, it, it's it's. Not... I I I like it because it sounds a bit like bloated. Yeah. Which, I think all sorts of things. I'm sorry I'm not very with it. I've had a very long, busy day. Um, That's okay, so have I. We can just veg out. That's cool. We can just talk. Yeah. I've, that's what we do on the podcasts. We have. We've. It's been a while since the last, last one. We've both had a birthday, so happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. How was your birthday? Um, my birthday was nice, thank you. I. What did I do on my actual birthday? I, I literally didn't do anything on my actual birthday. I ate some dinner, so that was great. Good. Um, but we went to Falmouth the following weekend to go to the International Sea Shanty Festival, which was amazing. We there had is such- a sea shanty festival. Yeah, it was. It was the whole of Falmouth was taken over by uh, shanty people. That's um, amazing. Loads of the bars were. Uh, so there were lots of shops and restaurants and pubs that were venues and there were beer tents and stuff like that. And also just people performing in the street and things like that. So we sat by the harbour and drank a lot of cider and ate pasties and sang along to share. It was fantastic. We had such a good time. That sounds idyllic. We Yeah, we're definitely going to go back next year and um, and spend a bit longer because Falmouth's so far away as... English listeners will know. 
it it's is. almost as far away from anywhere else in the UK as you can go, apart from maybe Cape Roth or uh, Cape Ness. Um, it we had we could only be there for like a day and a half, so we spent, oh, wow. we spent nearly as much time driving as we did in Falmouth. But it was worth it, and we'll go back next year for a bit longer, maybe for a holiday. So, if you're interested in maritime history or um, enjoy drinking while listening to people sing rousingly, uh, or have ever had a beard or a stripy jumper, I would say you should go to a pharmacy there's a there are a few around the country i think whitby might have one i might be making that other oh no maybe grimsby does grimsby might and i think there's a couple more around the country um but falmouth is falmouth one was particularly good we saw uh, there's a new hot young group on the falmouth scene um <laughs> on the shanty scene on the, on the, in, in the shanty scene uh called the longest johns <laughs> who are that They're actually in Bristol because a lot of the, a lot of the um, shanty groups were from uh, from Cornwall, which was really amazing. Actually, to see there was a lot of pride and um, a lot of really beautiful singing about Cornwall, which was nice. Um, but these guys are from Bristol, and they've got tight harmonies, and they sound really good. And they do re- lots of songs where they like speed up really fast, and then it's really, it's really good. And their bass singer has the most insanely low voice I've ever heard. Um, it's just incredible. You know you know, I'm a sucker for an amazing bass singer and mm-hmm. um, his voice. But when he's one of those people that when you hear him speak, he has a completely normal voice and then he's providing the bass line for their harmonies and it's it made bits of me quiver. He doesn't talk like, like Andre the Giant. No, he doesn't. Or Marvin Gaye or Barry White or anyone like that. He... Uh, he um he's got a very normal voice and then he starts singing and it's uh, yeah ball quivering definitely ball quivering excellent if there's one thing i can't stand it's a loose harmony God. no you, you you were a tyrant for that when we were when we were in a band together i remember i remember that you we had to get them right and it was worth it your tyranny was worth it in the end because we sounded tight as a lock on stage that's the the only sentence I've ever wanted to hear is your tyranny was worth it. <laughs> you just need like like David Cameron, you're considering your legacy at the moment. And, oh boy. Um, yeah. So you know, you need to you need to have people say it. these things were, were worthwhile. Yeah. While we're um on our Skype call currently, Theresa May is announcing the new cabinet and I haven't I haven't really been following or I suppose when I get off I'll find out and then I'll despair at the latest I thought, wave. But... I thought she wouldn't announce it until tomorrow. Shall I have a look and see what she said? Oh, see if what you it want. says. Um well I was just I just caught the end of Channel Four News. Boris Johnson is foreign secretary. <laughs> yep, I saw that. <laughs> I didn't see that. Oh, a man wow well good for him you know everyone in the world is laughing at us right now they've they've got that picture of boris with where he's on he's on the zip wire and he's wearing a sort of weird thong for no reason and yeah he's holding the flags they're all looking at that picture and they're laughing at us in boris in boris's defense it was not a thong it was a necessary safety harness (laughs) I bet so, he's used that to defend thong behaviour many times. I'm sure he has, but in that case, it was justified. 
Yeah. yeah. Wow, Boris Johnson. Wow. That was the uh, um, here we go. The first draft <laughs> of Cisco's <laughs> big hit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, <laughs> didn't go down so well. So um, the Chancellor is Philip Hammond. Yeah, well, that's not good. Um, he likes blowing stuff up. Billiers and Barad. Michael Fallon is defence secretary. Yeah. Oh, he's his defence secretary. Um, okay, interesting. I didn't realise it. She would announce it that quickly. Yeah. We were in the car and um, they were doing live coverage of her arriving at number ten, and um, she gave her made her statement and um, then went inside and um, I can't remember who was doing the news. Uh, but they said, "Oh." Now she goes inside to begin work. And Sarah said, she's probably just going inside to have a cup of tea, poor woman. Um, <laughs> which is fair enough. I, don't think she, I didn't think she was going to go right in and start. But apparently she did. And she's got on with naming her cabinet. But I suppose she's had about a week to think about it, which is long enough, I suppose. Yeah. To make such a decision. There's only so many senior Tories to choose from, aren't there? It's kind of like picking your picking your sports team, isn't it? I would not know what that feels like, Paddy, I have to say. Well, I know what that feels like now because I'm the captain of the company softball team. The Hachette Hawks. The Hachette Hawks, yeah. You're the captain? Yeah. At the risk of ruining our friendship, what gives you that qualification? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Are you the most enthusiastic? No, I, um, I founded the team, so I'm captain by default. You founded it. I didn't know you founded it. Yeah, well, um, our vice captain is a uh, girl called Grace, and she had a friend over at Bloomsbury, a rival publisher, who had been playing in the league for a while, and um, she came to me and was like, can we get involved in this league? Because I'm kind of the group person that makes shit happen. And I said, yeah. So I went to the big dog, the CEO, and asked for some money. We got some money, and then I, I set up the team. You can't call him or her a big dog because you know what I'm imagining. <laughs> St. Bernard in a tie. Yeah. At a computer. The computer just has pictures of bones on the screen. <laughs> it, it, who is, who is your, your, C, your CEO? Is what? Who, who is your CEO? Oh, Tim, Tim Healy Hutchinson. He's, he's a really, really great man. He founded the Headline Publishing Group 30 years ago. And, wow. you know, it made loads and loads of money, and then they started buying companies, and then eventually that got bought by Hachette by the French a while ago, and he's been there ever since. But yeah, he gave us he... a bunch of money for the softball team. So, is he called Healy because he wears Healy's? <laughs> I wish. Yeah, he's a giant Saint Bernard <laughs> going around the office <laughs> on Healy's, <laughs> and everyone's Ooh, he... just petting him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's absolutely no respect for his leadership. Everyone yeah. just thinks he's adorable. It's it's kind of a ceremony. Oh position. man! <laughs> yeah, I bet. Now, now I'm imagining him in some sort of robe. Now you're using the word ceremony. Yeah, robe and some sort of mayoral mayoral cape with ermine. Yeah, you know yeah. the mayoral bling. Yeah. I, I know. Yeah, I know it well. Saint, well, I Saint must Bernard. have told. On Healy's with mayoral bling. I must have told you the story of when my dad was crashed into by the mayor of Croydon. <laughs> no, you mean Johnny Rose? Well, yeah, well, no, it wasn't. <laughs> Johnny Rose is now the incumbent, as, as far as I understand. Well, as far as I understand it, he's turned um, Croydon into some sort of fiefdom, <laughs> which uh, rules, he rules with an iron fist coated with KFC grease. Yeah, a fried fist. <laughs> no, my... When my dad was driving us, I believe it was home from Quasar, 
uh, when we were small. And um, for our listeners who might not know, what is Quasar? Oh, if you don't know what Quasar is, what business do you have <laughs> listening to a talk? Frankly, <laughs> Quasar is um, a big brand of laser tag. Though laser tag might be a brand name as well. I don't know. It's, no, we, la- laser tag is the thing. Laser tag is the generic now. Okay. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. So it's a brand of laser tag. You go into a sweaty, windowless with a lot of children and um yeah shoot light at each other it's um it's not as fun i i've done it a few times close to adulthood and it's not as fun as i remember it mm. um so i i kind of wish that i'd left it as a relic of my childhood um that i could remember fondly it smells appalling yeah like, it does it's got that sort of well, scratchy thing it used to like trigger my asthma as well yeah, it's um, worse than any other sort of communal fake sport arena. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm getting in trouble with bowling fans now, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Bowling, bowling alleys have a smell, but it's nowhere near as bad. A quasar, I think they never wipe it down. It's fear and desperation and overstimulation produce a certain sort of unguent sweat in human beings yeah. that cling to things and you can't really get rid of it. It's like a treacle. Um and yeah, so any anyway, Quasar. That's where we'd been, as far as I remember. I might be making I might be swimming or something like that. We were having a a son father moment. Is it, you were and, a, we were bonding. Uh, we were bonding, and uh, yeah, this this car crashed into the back of him. He starts swearing and everything, blinding, getting got out of the car, and it's a jet uh, like a jag. Uh, a stretch Jaguar, black stretch Jaguar with smoke smoke windows and the mayoral crest on the front and uh, the chauffeur gets out and starts having a chat with him. There wasn't like a punch up or anything. It wasn't as dramatic as that. But yeah, the mayor was on his way somewhere and um, he got out and was looking around. He wasn't in all his garb. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so that that's the time when my dad was crashed into by the mayor of Croydon. How did he know it was the mayor of Croydon? Was it from the seal of the the seal and the fact that we were in Croydon. All right, because if he wasn't wearing his mayoral bling, then I don't know. It might have been a fake mayor. It, it's definitely you can tell where uh, the mayoral what the mayor's seal looks like. You, some, I sometimes see it uh, around here. Um, but yeah, he could, or he could have been a visiting dignitary from another from another town or county. I don't know. Yeah, but a mayor. A mayor had a bad chauffeur. That's that's the outcome of that story. Was the mayor apologetic? Uh, I honestly don't remember. I just remember, oh, this will make a mildly amusing uh, anecdote in about 15 years. <laughs> you should have challenged the mayor saying. to a game of Quasar. Oh, my God. That In his, in his get-up, that would be amazing. Yeah. I, 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 th- I feel that it would be a, um, a disadvantage to him to be covered in clinking metal. But I don't know. Maybe he's very good at it. Maybe yeah. it's part of becoming the mayor. You've got to be sick good at Quasar. I don't know. Maybe the clinking metal reflects the lasers back on the on the opponent. That might might blind them. That's true. That's there's so many things to think about. I don't. I have a feeling you weren't allowed to wear like outfits and things to uh, Quasar, which is a shame mm. because it would make an amazing LARP. Yeah, it would make sort of a post-apocalyptic sci-fi LARPing. Um, where you don't have to go around and hit each other with latex swords, but could actually shoot at each other 
That yeah. would be amazing. You could have a sort of Metroid-type suit on. Oh, that would be so cool. It would be completely over the top, considering it's a really weak light coming out of the end of a gun. Yeah. Um, Did I tell uh, you that um, when I used to work in the pub, um, the King's Tun in Kingston... Um, above it was the old laser quest that was disused, but it was the laser quest that I used to go to as a kid. Um, so ah. from uh, like we could and we could get in there from the pub. So sometimes after work, we used to like go up there and fuck about. And it was very wow. it was much smaller than I remember it being. When you see it all as kind of one big room lit up, you realise that actually it's just one huge room, and they sort of put some cardboard dividers in it to make it like a maze. Um, yeah. lots of MDF with sort of graffiti on it and stuff and yeah, yeah. but yeah you must also remember that you're a, you're, a, you're a much larger man than you were as a boy now yeah so you know you take up more space this so is of true. course yeah. too, too, too small to hold you I, I've done laser um, tag once as a grown ass adult and that was when I that was the job I had before this one like five six years ago um and it was like a team bonding exercise with the like the oh. team, the HR team from like the new company that we'd acquired that hated us, and we all had to go to Laser Tag in Bournemouth. And they, we were all there were sort of a few of us who were quite young, and that team was all like women in their sixties, and it was it was one of the most awkward things I've ever done in my life. They all hated it, and were really scared by it. That sounds absolutely horrific. Yeah. I don't recommend I, the, it as a the whole, team bonding. Well, I'm very lucky because I'm self-employed. The corporation I work for uh, doesn't put on <laughs> doesn't put on team building exercises. Instead, we just have casual Friday every day. Uh, everyone always brings in donuts, um, and everyone sleeps with each other at the Christmas party. It's uh, <laughs> It's perfect. Want to go self-employed, man? It's uh, how do Rob, I... Rob Core is going from strength <laughs> to strength. I was going to call it the Sherman Group. The Sherman Group, I like that. Sherman PLC. That implies that like there are that. kind of various entities underneath you, so sort of divisions. Yeah, we're an umbrella. We're an umbrella corporation, definitely not the umbrella corporation of Resident Evil fame. Yeah. But uh, we, yeah, we uh, we have our. Our fingers in many pies. Yeah. But no team building exercises. We don't have to do that. No. That's that's something that the CEO takes very, very seriously. Yeah. Is is the CEO a Saint Bernard running around on Heelys? Uh yeah. Do you know what? Why not? I can say whatever the fuck I want it to be. It's a Saint Bernard in Heelys. Uh, and his secretary is a highly strong Chihuahua who comes around on a skateboard afterwards trying to take notes and all the notes just say woof so it's not a very efficient um system the woof system the woof system needs to be looked at <sighs> there's an app for that now well maybe we could um we could do laser tag for your um i was about to say <laughs> i was about to say honeymoon i mean staff party <laughs> we could do that for myself <laughs> I don't know. I, I think uh I don't know. I part of me thinks it's too regressive. It's too regressive. I don't know. I was thinking either that, or we could just go and like go and play on some swings. <laughs> we could just go and play on swings for your for your stag do. Yeah. Or is that um, too regressive? 
<laughs> for the whole night. Well, we could. It depends what we were drinking on the bench, and how many girls were there, and oh, so many horrible nights swinging on the swings endlessly, like some sort of metaphor. I remember it well. I can. I, I. You could not pay me to go back to being that age. I'll tell you that for free. Yeah, what, sort of 15, 16? Yeah, I mean, it was great at the time. Well, I wasn't even great at the time. I was sad a lot of the time. But I just was a horrible, stupid thing. <laughs> just a horrible, stupid thing. Well, I just Isn't everyone when they're 15? Well, for quite possibly, I don't know. I had limited access to other people. But, <laughs> you um... weren't allowed out very much. <laughs> no, no, I was under some sort of order. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure they are, but that doesn't make me hate it even less. I mean, I feel like I'm at a point in my life now where I broadly like who I am and I'm proud of myself and, well, broadly. Um, whereas, and back then I probably was quite proud of myself, but I feel like it was really misplaced. <laughs> and um, I don't know, a lot of people seem to wish that they were younger again. And I think, no, bring it on. Every day older is a better day. Yeah, like you're right. I, I don't feel like I like the need to place a premium on youth as such. But I wouldn't mind going back and having another go because, like, I don't know, I'd like to have tried harder and worked harder at a few things just to see how it went. But I'm not, like you say, I am happy with who I am and where I am and where stuff's going. And I'm like, I don't mind getting older and I don't mind meeting the new challenges of adulthood even though everything is really scary and horrible at the moment. But that's not because we're old. That's because everything is just really scary and horrible anyway. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I had a good time but when I was around that age. But I think, yeah, you're right. I, I think I also had a confidence in myself that was misplaced. But I think a lot of teenagers do. Mm. Well, n- nostalgia is insidious, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's so easy to look back on those things and... I, I would find it very easy to look back and think, oh, at the time, you know, I was happy and I was, it was great. And I got excited about certain things that I don't get excited about anymore. But actually, there's lots of new things that I get excited about now. And um, I feel now that I learn more, I know I am a PhD student, so I am technically a student, but I feel that I learn more in my everyday life now, far more than when I was at school. And I don't know. I feel life is better now. Yeah, you can learn on your own terms. You can learn on your own terms as an adult, can't you? Like, you you can, if you think, I want to learn French, I'm going to get this app and I'm going to learn French and I'm going to do 10 minutes a day or whatever. It's not part of a kind of classroom structure where it's like, this is all the knowledge that you need to know. And if you don't learn, learn all this boring shit, you're you're gonna like fuck everything up. Whereas these days, it's like you learn something because you actually care about it and you want to learn and you can see the value and the application of it. It's, yeah. yeah, it's just totally different. Well, I I like things. I, I learn things that I like now because I can see their relevance because they're immediately relevant to something that I care about. If you see what I mean, you know, if if there's a, a mathematical thing which I never cared about before, if I'm applying it to a coding project or something like that, I have, A, I have an, a model immediately to put it onto. And I think I really need to learn how to do this so that I can do this thing in my, my creative art project that I care about. Whereas at school, it was completely abstract. And I thought, well, why do I need to know how to do that? Now, 
at the time I didn't know that I wanted to go into programming or anything like that. But, you know, if I had, then I would have thought, oh, well, this has a, <laughs> an obvious point. I should be doing this, that or the other. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like at, at the time you don't know the things that are going to be useful to you. Although I did learn a lot of stuff that has been useful, like learning music and stuff. Um, I did okay at French and, you know, now that I want to move to Canada, that's going to come in handy. Little little things like that. I don't feel like I, like all of that time was wasted. So I learned a lot of really, really great, great things. But yeah, you're right that it's net, or I, I'm right because I made the point that it's not quite on your own terms in a way that you when you get older you see the value of things and how they're going to affect the rest of your life in a way that you're going to be short-sighted when you're not yet an an adult indeed and i think there's an additional danger when you're an adult as well that you start to feel especially if you're someone who's given to anxiety or given to worrying about things in general not necessarily an actual pathological anxiety there are things which you feel you have to do or you have to spend your time doing or you ought to do because it's what an adult does or it's the worthy thing to be doing or blah, 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 whatever your reason. And you forget that actually you don't have to do anything. I mean, short of, you know, feeding yourself and feeding those you love and earning money and, you know, the fairly basic things in life, there's no, you don't have to do anything. You can spend your entire time, uh, eating walker's french fries if you want to um an underrated you know and i think uh definitely an underrated crisp a key crisp of the early noughties i feel um which Mm -hmm. sustained me through secondary school along with the knickknack one of the most Mm. toxic bilious substances known to man can you still get those can you get those anywhere i really want them now the purple ones not the orange ones i've Oh, I like the uh, I like the off green ones. Oh. Like the sour cream and chive. I remember I used to get them from the uh, above the gym at school, which from the um, uh, from the vending machine. And then if you got knickknack dust on your hands for a afternoon lesh, knickknack dust sounds sounds dirty. I know that but, sounds uh, like one of those made up drugs from that episode of Brass Eye. <laughs> got any knickknack <laughs> dust? <laughs> wow apparently knickknacks according to wikipedia knickknacks are a type of extruded corn snack that's, that's uh, it's the name I of my new metal band was it lemon and scampi flavor that's it that yeah actually yeah, those, those are nice those are better than and the orange is nice and spicy and the purple they were like crack to me like but i can't remember they, what they actually were it was some kind of barbecue flavor yeah. In the mid-1990s, the flavours were nice and spicy, cream and cheesy, and ribbon saucy. Rib- ribbon, <laughs> ribbon saucy, that's it. Ribbon saucy replaced scampi and lemon. That's what I remember as a move to make consumers feel <laughs> that Knickknacks was a less smelly brand. <laughs> smelly brand. <laughs> brand, Kurt, the brand's an abstract. Is that Sales citation of- needed? Yeah, it does say citation needed. <laughs> Sales of knickknacks grew by 32% once the smelly flavour was removed. At some point, I love this. this, there's a story behind this. At some point, a hard cheese flavour was introduced and later discontinued. Oh my God. This is, this is a train wreck. 
On Valentine's Day 1994, Golden Wonder released limited edition naughty and saucy flavor knickknacks. And for a limited time, a tomato and mayonnaise flavor oh. with the aphrodisiac ingredient was 0.01% guarana seed extract. This, I mean, a lot of this is citation needed. But Good this branded one was repeated naughty and saucy flavor which, including what was claimed to be the first savoury snack to contain the Chinese herb ginseng, said to help boost the libido. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I didn't realise it was this involved. Knickknacks, they tried to sell sex crisps. They <laughs> tried to sell a sex crisps. Um, <laughs> well, I'm glad I, that I don't remember that happening, because that probably could have scarred me for life. Well, apparently it's now a part of the European Intersnack group, um, though I haven't seen any in our in our in our shops for some time. Not that I go into shops and buy crisps very often, but um, no. To be honest, I don't really eat crisps much either as a as an adult. I try not to. Sarah eats a lot, of them, like to a to a, a worrying degree. She's quite the connoisseur. Um, I think she quite liked knickknacks. Um, but yeah, the knickknack does. If you have got the scampi and lemon knickknack dust on your hands, no amount of washing would get it off and you would smell like a fishing trawler for the entirety of the afternoon. Yeah. And especially if it was I remember it being summer and the sun coming in through the windows and sitting there in my blazer which was covered in knickknack dust and just feeling like the scum of the earth. <laughs> I was. I was the scum of the earth. Adding. Yeah. Good times, the nineties. Well speaking Later. of nostalgia. Yeah. Have you played Pokemon Go yet? No, I'm not particularly interested, I have to say. You're a lunatic. It's amazing. It is it is unbelievably good. It's it's like the Isn't perfect just... exact nostalgic thing that you want. Like it hits the nostalgia buttons in all the right places. I don't want I don't I don't need it. Pokemon Go. I mean, I I've seen a few things about it. It's just it's an augmented reality thing. You go to places and there are Pokemon. And then what happens? It's like playing Pokemon in the real world. But it's so not because it's on your phone. Yeah, obviously. I don't... But you have to you have to walk around to find them. So like, you have to physically move around, and then Pokemon appear in different places. There are like everything the you see that's a landmark. That's like a stop where you can get items. Like churches and bars and places become gyms that you can take over and you can battle people. But generally, it's just fun, you know. When I'm when I'm walking to work, I've, I'm listening to a podcast or whatever. But I've also got it open, and I'll just—it's in my pocket. It'll buzz when a Pokemon appears. I'll hold my phone out, catch the Pokemon, do a little, have a little fun with that. Yeah, it's 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 really good fun, and it's super addictive as well. Okay, I I mean I don't you know me I don't like using my phone in public or much at yeah. all. So I I think that's probably why I'm not interested in it is because. It involves me having to walk around pointing my phone at things, which I don't like doing. Yeah. Um, you do but I mean, I'm not stupid. saying it looks shit. I've just, I, I'm just not interested in it. Um, it looks, it's a very interesting idea, and I, I think it's really helped out Nintendo. From what I've heard, it's made them a lot of money. It looks fun. Their shares are ten um, percent. It's a really interesting idea. And it's it's doing wonders for augmented reality as well because even what I was having some conversations with sort of digitally savvy people at work today who are saying that they a couple of them have been trying to push augmented reality stuff for a while and it hadn't really been going down that well, 
but now that Pokemon Go has happened, everyone thinks it's really cool. So now we're looking at this augmented reality thing at work that we're going to do in the building, and it's going to be really fun. And but it's not stupid and tacked on either, because I've seen a lot of augmented reality stuff that I thought was dumb, but. It's cool. But anyway, with, with Pokemon Go, it's not even really about the augmented reality because I actually turn the augmented reality part of it off because it's easier to catch the Pokemon without it. So when it gets to the Pokemon catching screen, it's just got a generic grass background instead of like you using the camera and you hold it up so it looks like the Pokemon's on the street and then you throw the Pokeball at it, which is so fun. Does, but... So does the augmented reality work out where the ground is on the camera? And so if you move the camera the Pokemon will stay on the ground? It sort of half does that. Like, it's not it's not that smart, I think, but it just about does. I think from I the sort of gradient of the phone, it works it out. Okay. Right, okay. Because I was going to say, that would, be, that would be very impressive. But I haven't actually seen it in action. But everyone's been going on about it. I mean... Uh, it's not it's not really my cup of tea but i'm i think it's i think it's a cool idea it's a new way of doing pokemon if they felt they needed that then that's from fine by me i yeah. mean i i think if it wasn't I'm pokemon you... i wouldn't give a shit like even if it was no, well, supposed I... to be this really fun new game that's augmented reality and everyone was playing it i still wouldn't care because i i already have a lot of stuff in my life but because it's pokemon i'm all over it because when the first pokemon came out game came out that was the biggest thing to ever happen in my life ever and that is not an exaggeration i was absolutely obsessed with it like i played it forever i was i was a real real obsessive fan i collected all the toys and all the cards and then we went to japan and there was like pokemon shops and museums and i was in heaven and like yeah for a good sort of i'd say from about age seven or eight or however old we were when the first one came out through to age about 13 14 like i was just so hardcore on it I watched all the cartoons, you know. So, like, what what I'm enjoying most about Pokemon Go is the the nostalgic feel of catching and collecting Pokemon and the kind of the gameplay bits there, rather than actually the augmented reality stuff. If that makes sense. Although that yeah, stuff well, is fun. Yeah, well, as you too. say, it's a huge. I think it's fun. It sounds fun. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I can't enthuse about it with you. I'm not the right person. That's okay. I've got plenty of other people to enthuse with about it on Twitter. Of course, of course. Were you? Were um, you did you play it as a child when it first, when it was first around? Were you into it? Pokemon God, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I played um, Pokemon Blue and then Pokemon Yellow and then I had Pokemon Gold Edition and then I played Pokemon. What came after that? Ruby. Uh, yeah, I was big into it. I watched the series. Uh, we collected Pokemon cards. My dad used to go to Japan on business a lot, and he yeah. used to go to the Pokemon Center in Tokyo and bring me and my brother home little figurines. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we fucking love Pokemon. I mean, it's 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 an amazing it's it's an amazing brand. I guess it's uh, it, I always felt it got a bit silly once it got past like maybe 250 Pokemon. I felt that the new Pokemon didn't have, they all sort of went into one big lump. I couldn't really distinguish them anymore, Yeah, um, but that might've just been me. Um, but yeah, I, I loved Pokemon. I adored Pokemon. I actually looking at it again in my PhD, uh, as an example of Japanese animism mm. in, in, uh, modern storytelling. Uh, so it's quite fun to returning to it. I don't think I would ever play one of the games again. Um, 
just because I'm past that now, I'm not I'm not the same person that I was. But I remember spending having taking my Game Boy Color and my Game Boy Advance um, on long car journeys and tilting it to make sure the sun wasn't reflecting off the screen all yeah. the time um, and just playing it endlessly. And um, it's quite rare that there's something nowadays which pierces my cold, hard hide and grabs me as much as that did. Um, but yeah, Pokemon was a big part of my life. I think it was for most kids our age. Yeah, and I think that's why it's been such a big hit. I think most of the people playing it are uh, our age rather than actual kids who just wanted youtube and snapchat each other or whatever it is they do now search for things on bing <laughs> I did, did children use bing is that, is that, that thing have you not heard it's the new thing the, bing's the bing's the in thing it's because <laughs> it's because the rapper drake he done a song called hotline bing and it's all about how good bing is so now they're all into it because drake did a song about it yeah I've never listened to a Drake song, but I know for a fact that the song you're referring to is called Hotline Bling. It's got nothing to do with Microsoft subpar search engine, and you're just being a troll on young people. Yep, I'm trolling all young people. That's my thing. And I, and I wouldn't. And I'm sure you like Drake, and it's not fair to use him in a joke like that. No, it's he's, not. But you know not. what? He'd be okay with it because he's Canadian and he's nice. Is he? Yeah. I don't. I, I, I literally, as I say, I've literally never heard one of his songs. Um, Hotline Bling is actually very good. It's very catchy. I'm sure it is. I'm, I've, I'm not. I haven't not listened to him because I don't like him. It's just our paths haven't crossed. You might have heard it. Does the radio ever go on in the background at the offices of the Sherman Corp? No, it never does. Right. <laughs> it's com- either complete silence or just the music that the CEO likes. Right. Um, so, and he doesn't listen. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Edith folks said that. Yeah, that's. That, um, I do not listen to Venetian snares. I don't. It's not fair of you to perpetuate this myth. <laughs> I might listen to some weird music, but Venetian snares. I have. Okay, I have the discography of Venetian snares. <laughs> last time about 75 albums i don't listen to this band but i have their entire discography well just because i own it doesn't mean that i listen to it. <laughs> i got it a long time ago from a friend and there's one album of his that i really really like and the rest of it is interesting but no thank you <laughs> i listen to lots of varied stuff i've been listening to shanties a lot recently that's true you car, like you're, a, you're a shanty man oh. these days it's very good for practicing my harmonies because I was always a bit ropey at hitting harmonies. And I'm much better now that I'm spending every morning going over and over again. Are you going to uh, record an album of shanties? You should do that. Yeah, well, I'd like to. I've done, I, well, I've done, a lot of, I've done a lot of trap music for work, so um, it would be fun to expand that um, at some point in the future. I got to I got to perform some work work songs and and sea songs uh, in London a couple of weeks ago. No, a couple of months ago now. Uh, in a really nice acoustic room, so it's um, that was really cool. That's cool. I'd like to I'd like to do more of that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, we should, but we not should do a show together, and I'll do some songs off my concept album. I've written a couple more. Oh, that's your. Um, 
Polar Explorer album. Yep, my Polar Exploration right? album. Yep. I'm going to be performing a couple of them this Saturday at a gig in Stockport. Just going to see how they go down. Um, is that has that got a title? That concept album? No, no. I just know the theme and the story and stuff. So I'm sure a title will emerge. Actually, a title is kind of the hardest thing for that because you know it's got to be really snappy and to represent the whole thing. But you can't think of anything to represent it that doesn't sound super generic. Anyway, I was saying that you like Canada and you now have a newfound love for all things polar. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there was a radio documentary. I think it was originally broadcast in the 60s. It was produced by the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. It was cool. advised and presented by Glenn Gould, who, oh, is, yeah. who was a Canadian uh, pianist and various other things. Um and it's a, there are three, it's, it's called the Solitude Trilogy. The first one's called Idea of North, and then there are two others that I can't remember the name of. But it's all about the Canadian North, and it's long-form docu- um, interviews with people who are either from the north of Canada or have lived there or visited there, explored there or studied there or researched there or whatever. Um, wow, that's, that sounds awesome. You would love it, and I think they're about... I think they're an hour long each. And he has this really interesting technique where he overlays different um, different strands of interview or different people interviewing. Um, and then he, he sort of fades in between them. So sometimes it's almost just like noise. And then it will focus in on one person and stick with them for a while. But oh, it's okay. really interesting. It's really, really interesting, and the people he gets to uh, he get, he gets to interview are incredibly interesting as well. But you can find it; I think it's all on YouTube. So cool. um, you should look it up. The Solitude Trilogy. Oh, well, um, I'll dig a link help. out, put it in the put it in the show notes. It might help you with your um, your album. Yeah, for sure. I found uh, we cleared out a bunch of our books recently, and I found this book on Scott of the Antarctic that I think I was given by my granddad and I never read it. So I'm going to read that oh. next when I finish I reading to... Willie Vloten. <laughs> Willie, yeah, when you've, you've recovered from Willie Vloten. Um, Scott's, yeah, Scott was very interesting. Um, the British Library has his um, his last notebook, his last diary cool. that he kept on his last exhibition. And it has, you know, the last entry he ever put in and it was found... Uh, after his death oh, um, yeah it. it's pretty it's pretty incredible in fact it's digital look put it in the show notes as well there's a digitized online interactive manuscript yada yada version uh, from the BL so um, so take a look and it's really interesting it's got all sorts of contextual like notes and tool tips with it as well so yeah you should check that out that sounds great so, I, su- I suppose we should we should probably talk a little bit about politics, shouldn't we? Yeah, it's it's inevitable, really, isn't it? We've already mentioned that Boris Johnson is our new foreign secretary. Yay! I, I'm really quite surprised <laughs> by that, but um, perhaps he'll do a good job. I don't know. Perhaps. Perhaps I don't know. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, we it's, we haven't actually spoken since before the referendum happened. We? I don't. Really, I don't think we have. No, oh. it wasn't that long ago. It feels like forever ago, but it was only two weeks ago. 
two and a yeah. half weeks ago. Feels like a <laughs> lifetime ago. It does, doesn't it? Um, and not much has not much has changed. Yeah, not not that much really. Yeah, it but, would be unique. it's in, an interesting time to be alive. Yeah, but I feel I feel bereft. Do you feel bereft? How do you feel? I feel. I feel that a mistake was made. I think it was a mistake to have a referendum at all. Yep. Which I think is a pr- pretty popular uh, opinion. Um, but I voted nonetheless. I voted for as for the state of being that would exist if we hadn't had a referendum. Um, yep. I think I have a lot of problems with Europe, um, but I felt that it was... Europe is vital to it's made my it's actually made my uh, politics a lot more radical I have to say I mean I've already cool. I, I, I've for a long time been reading a lot about radical politics um, but it's really intensified how I how I think about the state and how I think about personal freedoms and things like that because I think my radicalism was more was pretty much confined to online and people's rights online because it seemed like promoting individualism and freedom and um individualism combined with community and stuff like this free uh, freedom as in free all this sort of stuff open source it was much easier to do that online because it was a very delimited domain there are only so many ways that the that the state or private companies could infringe on those rights it was much simpler Mm. but actually now i found that it's spilling out into my thinking about the real world and actually it's not necessarily just individualism i think that i've become i've become a bit skeptical about i've become more skeptical about socialism um but yeah it's it's been it's and i think it'll be an interesting couple of years and that Hopefully, it will have the effect of making people our age and around our age much more uh, politically aware and politically savvy and um, forthright and standing up for what they believe in. Um, but I think I've, I've found, obviously, you must have found this, that Twitter was a bit of an echo chamber yep. um, after the referendum. Um, which I didn't like, uh, and I disagreed with a lot of what people were saying, and I I disagreed with the mood that everyone who voted leave was like some sort of Nazi cross with a sex offender. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's easy to some... you know to to take to take your the emotion the very very high emotion that you feel as a result of this kind of vote and just say that and blame, you know, um, channel that energy towards hating the people who voted leave. But obviously the the problem and the reason that, that it, we got to that point in the first place isn't their fault. It's a cul- culmination of decades of political and economic, you know, policy and culture and all this kind of thing. So yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's wasted energy to, to call those people sex offenders. <laughs> and it's, it's also, I don't think it's the case that a lot of people were saying, you know, Europe is a good a good thing. Not necessarily, they weren't necessarily saying it was unequivocally, but saying that it's more of a good thing and a bad thing. 
And I don't think that that's necessarily true. I don't think you can say there's a huge amount wrong with Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, in my opinion, it's the case that Europe represents a collectivism which we can't really afford to get rid of because yeah. we live in a global world which, in which individual countries' actions have consequences on the whole world and where there are global problems which need to be on which we need to have a consensus legally and in and that's only really possible if we have a, a super state for those things in terms of climate change and overfishing and uh, all these sorts of things mm-hmm. but but europe is i became very very skeptical about europe um especially during the migrant crisis um in its handling with turkey and its offering of free movement to Turkey if it stemmed the tide of migrants. Mm. And I just felt that actually the European response to the migrant crisis as a super state has been atrocious. And I know a lot of that is down to your country squabbling. Um, and actually Germany, who represent the European Union in a lot of ways, uh, has done a lot for the migrants and and had a lot into Germany, far more than we've had. Um, and I felt that that courting Turkey, which is ruled by a human rights abuser, um, mm-hmm. Recebe, Yuan, um, I, found, I found that very, very... I, I realised that I wasn't as Eurocentric or as Euro, pro-Europe as I thought I was. Um, so, yeah, after that long rambling... But maybe you don't have to be pro-Europe or Eurocentric to to recognise the fact that it's just better to remain in the EU than it is to leave it, because you're then disentangling yourself from things that are you know structured in so many different ways and affect things globally in so many different ways, um, economic factors, things to do with with movement and law and human rights and all these kind of things. There are so many different levels and layers to it that you don't have to be one thing or the other. That's the thing. It's so complex. And actually to reduce it down to a yes or no referendum is is stupid, really. It's, it's bloody stupid to try and see it in those terms. We should remain or we should leave. It's a thing that is so big and complicated that requires real nuanced understanding that very few people have. You know, Even the politicians themselves who deal with it, most of them. I mean, look at Nigel Farage. I mean, he... he 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 is driven by this kind of we've got to leave the EU's all bad this kind of thing like, but you know they've paid his salary for however many years. Well, the uh, uh, romantic sort of vision quest for the last twenty five years, you know, it's why he entered he entered politics was to get us out of the EU, um, and he succeeded. Which now he's saying that's why he should he's stepping down, which. I, is unbelievable, really. You know, the, yeah. the idea that the only thing that mattered was getting us out of the EU and then he's going to step down as if that nothing else is needed and that that was the only thing he was important for. He's writing himself out of significance mm-hmm. um, by completely uh, uh, reneging on re- any responsibility. Um, but it will be interesting to see. I'm glad that the markets have stabilised a bit. But, yep. um, Power yeah, creeping up today. It was, it was indeed. Um, 
yeah so but yeah, i am um, i want to know about what you've been reading what kind of radical what radical texts have you been you've been reading tell me fill me in uh what have i been reading i've been well there's a very good bookshop near where i work um called scarfing in the village of cromford which is an excellent bookshop if anyone's ever up in derbyshire should they should go and check it out it's probably the best independent bookshop i've been into for a long time wow. uh, they have a lot of local magazines and local journals that they um they have upstairs and there was a there's a magazine called anarchist voices which they had a load of back issues of which is just a sort of home printed a4 pamphlet by local uh, anarchist uh, groups and it's been very interesting uh, reading that and it's turned me on to a guy called Colin Ward who died recently who was who wrote a book called Anarchy in Action and his sort of his remit was saying look anarchism has this bad rap it's seen as this revolutionary almost terroristic movement designed to topple the state um, and he put forward this more gentle more pragmatic idea that anarchism can work alongside a minimal state um and that people can undertake anarchistic communi communal actions in their own lives with things like allotments and stuff like this it's all really grassroots stuff very very interesting um and then I've started reading Noam Chomsky's uh, On Anarchism, which is a bit heavier, mm -hmm. but it's it's there's quite similar things to towards Ward's work from what I've seen of Ward. And um, I just read a essay by Thoreau called uh, On Civil Disobedience, oh, which I is really interesting. Have you read it? Yeah, yeah. It's often very, tacked very onto his um, his Walden Walden Pond diaries. If you ever get like a combined edition, that's well, usually I, sort of thrown on the end of it. Yeah, I, well, I, it was written at the same time that he was in. He was at Wooden Pond, and I, it's very interesting. I mean, a lot of it is sort of theory and and polemic, but it's also interesting hearing about these um, little small rebellions that he made against, like the local tax collector and having to go to prison over and. Um, realizing when he was in prison that the only thing that the state has claim lays claim to is your body it only ever tries to punish your body uh it can't punish your mind and all sorts of really interesting points he yeah. made i i found it very very interesting i've read i haven't read all of walden um yeah i've dipped in i that. have a really nice edition um I, I there's well i'd like to read walden and then he wrote a book called on society and solitude which mm -hmm. i think has a lot of individualist ideas in there so yeah it's it's a pretty broad church but that's so that's the sort of thing i've been reading recently um, so are you are you now telling me that you yeah. think you're an advocate for sort of a very small state is that what you're arriving at well i don't know this is you know that goes against a lot of what i've always held that the state should provide should provide for those who can't yeah um what Ward's anarchism says is that you know anarchism doesn't need to is isn't it's not to do with survival of the fittest it's to do with devolving responsibility to communities and yeah to local 
the localities and saying we're not saying that people who can't support themselves should just be left to rot but that the support of them should be managed on a much smaller level than nationally and um Thoreau makes a, a very interesting point that he would be happy to have a, a state that acted in his interests and didn't try to um, force him to do things he didn't want to do. Um, and he said, but it's his duty, if you don't believe in something, is not to just vote in the system and say, oh, well, I'll have the lesser of two evils, blah, 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 that you actually opt out and say, I'm not, I refuse to partake of something which I feel to be which, you know, has, it has its problems, but I think at its heart, the, the problem is, is that it's very scary or seems ineffectual to do that on your own because you feel that you're making this pathetic, pointless protest against massive machinery. Um, but his point is that it, the symbolic power of that act is, is, has importance in and of itself. So there's a lot. So I, I'm not sure how I feel statewise. I do, I do feel that, the national nature of a lot of our welfare um, systems is a disadvantage to them. Um, and that actually, I'm, it, there's, it's not advocacy for removing the welfare state because it's, there's two, two sides to libertarianism, right? There's mm -hmm. the capitalist libertarian side where it says you should just let money do what it wants, all this sort of stuff. And then there's the anarchism which says allow people to do what they want without forcing them to do anything and allow them to decide for themselves how their community should be run. Um, and there's a lot of good things to be said for the large state apparatus like the NHS. You know, it's full of people who are, who have done amazing things for this, for this country and its people. But um, I think a lot of its problems stem from centralized organization and massive inefficiency, massive waste spiraling costs a lack of response to individual needs um, and perhaps the answer is to get more involved in local government and say okay we have the tools to make local government much more important to people in the current system so maybe that's that's more like it i don't know i don't know i'm i'm in a really interesting transitory phased in my thinking at the moment which is a nice place to be and i feel very fired up and and open to new ideas which um, i think the referendum has helped stir up that's good and actually i feel like a lot of people our age probably are or i hope people not want well, people not just our age but of at any age and but young people especially perhaps more are going through a similar thing right now they've realized that this huge this huge thing has happened which is really momentous more than anything in our lifetimes certainly and I hope it's made people think in, in those terms because, you know, it's it's clear to me, I think, that the, the current system of, of, you know, of capitalism, neoliberalism, the kind of political economy we live in really is not working um, for anyone except for those at the top. So we need some kind of radical rethink. And I don't personally know necessarily what that is is either you know i want to read all this kind of anarchist stuff as well but i've always shied away from the idea of a small state because i've always associated that with libertarianism which to me just seems like selfishness libertarianism to me is ayn rand you know it's rich people complaining that they have to pay tax you know it's you know 
15-year-old wankers going, I don't like the fact that the state tells me what to do with this. I don't want the state to nanny state. And I just think, oh, no, I know, agree. if it wasn't for all, you know, if it wasn't for all this, we wouldn't have the NHS. You wouldn't have all these rights, all these kind of things. So, so shut up. But, you know, the, the idea but of there, it being but there communal and to, to do with communities sounds much more attractive to me than what I think of as being traditionally kind of small state libertarianism. So it sounds like the anarchic model could work a bit better for me and my thinking, certainly. I should read that stuff. I've read some Chomsky, but not that one. That's, I commend it to you when I finished. It's, it's, um, it's good so far. I do find Chomsky hard going sometimes. Um, and there's, uh, there's far more uh, really friendly <laughs> writers on the subject. I think, yeah, this is, this is something that I'd not really considered, is that libertarianism is a very broad spectrum and your motivations for not wanting a large state can be very, very different. And as you say, if you're going down the Randian um, uh, avenue, then it's because you have a lot of stuff, which um, which is the major criticism, I think, of Randianism is the reason you have a lot of stuff is that you've um, opted into the capitalist uh, government grant the whole sort of that whole sort of system you know a business a business system which is been um, treated favorably by the government and actually probably wouldn't exist in its current form if there hadn't have been a large state um, there's that side of libertarianism and then there's the reasons for the idea that the state is coercive in a lot of different ways and that getting rid of large state apparatus is not uh, to get rid of responsibilities that we have to each other and to the world. But this is where my thinking about Europe comes in. And I think there are a lot of things that perhaps an anarchic system would not work for. You know, we have these global issues which need centralized governance and centralized laws because otherwise human nature, individual objectives won't mesh and will fuck things up like climate, like climate change and global warming. Um, and so maybe that's where you, you need to have these international coercive things to get people to act in a way which is in the short term a bit of a pain in the ass but in the long term is going to help the planet yeah my, my worry know. would always be that if if it was that kind of small state and then you said to everyone you know you have to look after people in your community is how do you ensure that that actually happens um well you don't this is this is my problem this is my problem with anarch anarchism so you need it's, to then have some kind of authoritarianism that ensures that that happens to make it happen in the first place. But then the authoritarianism is against the idea of it in the first, in uh, the basic idea of devolving power to people. So you know, is that can you have such a thing as authoritarian devolution? Well, this is this is one of the big problems with anarchism and the fact, like communism, you know, it doesn't work well in practice because human nature overcomes these lofty ideals which is why i think having every day like a quotidian anarchism where you are employing acts of individualism and acts of um self-sufficiency and local community civic mindedness in your everyday life in small ways but in ways that really matter and perhaps opting into a state in a in a in another sense at the at the higher level maybe that's a good compromise i don't know mm. it, i part of me almost wanted um corbyn not to be able to stand in the labor elections um because i wondered if he would split 
and take supporters with him and form a new party, which would be interesting to, because he's, I really don't think he belongs in the Labour Party. The Labour mm. Party is, you know, it's new Labour. It's not, it's not the old style Labour. And while I don't agree with everything he says, I think he would be a really refreshing site on the political landscape. I don't, I personally don't think he's electable. I don't think he would ever be elected. Not but, in the current neoliberal system that we have, and this this is the problem. Like you say, it's it's new Labour. There, are, this is the reason that the parliamentary Labour Party have, you know, for the most part, refused to work and to cooperate with him as leader. Which isn't to say that he's been a fantastic leader either. There are a lot of things he's gotten wrong. But if from day one of his leadership, the parliamentary Labour Party had all really united behind him, been really enthusiastic about him, if loads of people hadn't immediately resigned from the shadow cabinet, which we've now had like three or four different rounds of, which is just ridiculous because it creates a yeah. fucking sodding media circus that everyone then has to pay attention to instead of the actual politics and the actual issues that are you know, so fundamental to our society. You know, if, if the PLP yeah. had gotten behind him... We could be looking at a very, very different yeah. political landscape right now, post post referendum. I'm not going to use the word Brexit because I hate it. it sounds like a serial. It does. <laughs> um, I think, but that they they might have a point in that the the majority of the British public would not vote for him, mm-hmm. and that's what they're aiming for. They want to be in power because that's where they can do the most good. And if they feel that they have a leader who will never get elected, now whether that's his fault or not is kind of neither here nor there. The point of being in the opposition is to get into a position where you can be elected and mm-hmm. have your mandate. And, and if he, that's why they're rebelling against him. I agree it's been a bit of a shit show, but I mean, you can't, he's not the right person for that party he needs to be in a different party yeah you're right that's the the problem is with the party system as a as a as a thing really then isn't it but i feel like within the existing system if the plp had gotten behind him and given really really strong messages if the whole party had been delivering stuff the whole time against cameron and the tories saying you know getting out there and saying exactly what they were doing wrong and exactly really strongly their vision for how they can help people the kind of people who are likely to vote ukip who probably voted brexit you know, in the the rest of England outside of the London bubble, you know, if if I feel like if the PLP had united behind Jeremy Corbyn, then they perhaps could have gotten that across. I don't know. That was all. That was always my hope that the Labour Party could then provide this this united vision behind Corbyn's. You know, slightly it's viewed as radical. I don't think he's he's that radical because I'm comfortable with a lot of his policies and ideas. But I realise that on our our current political spectrum, it seems radical but yeah if, if they'd gotten behind him it just could have it could have been so different you just never know that that itself could have forced electability rather than it just being about one person's particular qualities you might be right you might well be right um but that that requires a huge amount of trust and faith and a complete about turn for a lot of the a lot of the labor uh a lot of the Labour front and back benches. I don't know. It's. I think it would be more interesting to let Labour have their very, very centre views currently. Um, you know, leaning right. Leaning right is the majority of the party, um, and instead, you know, form something else. Form an alternative. Now that the Lib Dems are a toxic brand, yeah. as uh, as their leader said, or was. Toxic. It was something like toxic, um, as Tim Fallon said. 
a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, but yeah, if um, Labour do split, the, the centrists could then go off and form their own thing and leave the, le- the left wing of the party to then form some kind of progressive alliance between, you know, the left of Labour, the Greens, the SNP, Plaid Cymru and the DUP, and they could all yeah. form some kind of... Because all of that together is bigger than the Tories, but that requires some kind of cooperation and some way of making that into a political force that doesn't work within the kind of two-party, first-past-the-post system either. So there are so many structural yeah. problems with the system that or structural things that just guarantee that the Tories are basically now going to be in power forever. So the whole system is just fucked. And I feel I've never felt this kind of disenchanted with it. I've always been really optimistic and really hopeful and really kind of willing to talk about leftist ideals. And I still have, you know, visions of how I think society could work, but I've always felt like change towards that was possible. And right now it feels impossible and I can't ever feeling that, ever remember feeling that before, you know, so that's why I feel bereft. At well, the I, think, I think things are going to change an awful lot in the next two years. I think we're in a bit of a crucible in terms of politics and I do think that strange things can happen and big change can happen while we're in this very unsettled time and who knows what's going to be happening with our relationship with Europe and so maybe things will change and maybe actually even though it seems like everything's a bit fucked at the moment and that you know there's no way to change these things I think actually we're probably in the best position to change things and have alternatives than we've had for years you know stability doesn't really breed radical thinking it's it's instability and we've got a lot of instability at the moment so maybe things will maybe there will be a way out of that this is true i I mean all all of the great things like the nhs and the welfare state and all this stuff came out of instability didn't it as kind of grand responses to it and maybe now that the world is so much more globalised, maybe all of that stuff will happen actually on a much greater level. You know, even if that takes kind of decades yeah. to emerge, who who knows? There might be some kind of huge global consensus that we might be able to to drive, you know, through the incredible technology that we have now as well. Are you Have you read much about the idea of post-capitalism? Uh, I don't think I have, no. There's, there's, I talk about it a bit in my PhD, and there's a couple of good books on it. Um, Post-capitalism, the title of the book by Paul Mason, who you know was Channel 4's economics editor. There's another one called um, yeah. Inventing the Future by Nick Cernicek and Alex Williams. Um, and um, Thomas Piketty has done a lot of work on this kind of thing. Yeah. So it's, um, I think the basic ideas tend to be that we have all this incredible technology now, but um, inequality is rising, so what we should do is just kind of automate everything and give everyone access to technology and automate a lot of jobs, but then give everyone a universal basic income coming back to this thing that we talked about on the last episode. um, So that it doesn't matter if you don't have a job or if your job is taken by a robot because the state gives you an income and that then it's, you know, it's past the idea that everything has to be tied to, to capitalism. But obviously that is a, a big state solution. So it's, it's hard to see it how that would square with the anarchist idea of devolving power to communities, but it would give power to individuals to then build the communities because everything would be um, taken care of. 
I think I can't I'm trying to find the book for you now because on the front it's really good it's got really nice typography and it says um demand full automation demand basic income inventing the future and there it goes through at various levels and talks about how it could be possible in various types of government and economic models and theories and stuff you know and um, Paul Mason's book especially is really really well researched and has a lot of ec- good like economics there's a lot of graphs you know and a lot of talk about Russian Russian economists who predicted this kind of thing and and stuff. So there is definitely a scholarly basis for it. But that's the that's the, right. the basic idea that capitalism is dying, and you know the combination of huge inequality but massive technological change is going to produce a really big, unprecedented global change. Um, and you know who knows where that might end up. But a few people have a few ideas. I, I personally, I like the idea of full automation and a universal basic income. You know, it seems completely unachievable, but worth a try. However, we might try and get there. Yeah. Well, maybe I should, maybe I should read up about on it, and we can talk about it a bit next next time. Yeah, after I've had my Viva, sounds- I'll um, I'll send you the books because I won't need them anymore. But I'll need them to read up for my Viva probably. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, well, I better go and eat my dindins. Oh, if you're not eating that yet. Note. No, that's fine though. Oh, we got, sorry, uh, we got home quite late, but I had a, I had no, frittata before I got on. Before I got on, it was nice. nice. I don't know what I've got. I'm excited for. Cool. Well, this it was it was good um, talking to you. I right. should um I'll email you about about we should try and meet up at some point whenever we can. You know, we still got still got a few months ahead but any any time we'd, we'd still love to come up and see you guys and if you're doing another thing in london let me know i will do well just what you need to do is send me the dates you're free and uh um, we can try and find a weekend mm-hmm. i'll send you a long list of them actually okay do do that just email it to me and i'll have a look at my calendar and i'll talk to sarah and yeah. uh yeah cool but this was good i feel yeah. like we covered a lot of ground uh, we still <laughs> need to talk about why you didn't like um star wars the force awakens but I think we should save that for the next episode. Yeah, well, I think I need to rewatch it before I to remember my main reasons for disliking it. I could take notes. Uh, yeah, I can probably copy a bit. Okay, well, well let's, let's, get... let's both rewatch it before the next episode and make notes. Okay. Sure, I can find a copy somewhere. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, All right. nice talking to you. Have a lovely dinner, and thank yeah, you very we'll, much. We'll do this again soon. And Okay. Talk to you soon, mate. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.